Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hi, this is Colin. So, so here's what I did today, okay? I cut up a cantaloupe, and I took one big chunk of the cantaloupe, and I put it uh, out in the center of the counter in the kitchen, and I waited for fruit flies to come. I watched very carefully until the fruit flies started to come. And when I had 22 of them, I divided them evenly into teams of 11. And then I had them battle to try to push one seed of the cantaloupe back and forth across the kitchen counter. And right away, they started buzzing and whining. And I said, there's no whining. There's no whining in Australian rules cantaloupe ball. And then I killed them. But, you know, you have to do something because there's no sports. Uh, And if you're the kind of person who likes sports, that could be a problem. If you're the other kind of person, you you may not have noticed that there are no sports. So take my word for it. Actually, there is Australian rules of football is happening. And uh, some kind of Turkish basketball league. It's called like the Turkish Super League or something like that. Uh, That is happening. And that's pretty much about it, except for the Olympics, where they just they don't know what they want. I mean, the Olympics is not going on right now. Anyway, I shouldn't be explaining this. Our guest should be explaining this. I I should also uh, quickly just tell you a little bit about the circumstances under which I find myself. Uh, I find myself uh, at home (laughs) in a studio uh, that we have set up here. Actually, I set it up with a tremendous amount of guidance from the control tower. And I mean, I am famously technically incompetent. Um, and yet I did set it up uh, and it works kind of right. And I mean, I just people just told me what to do. And actually, it's, it's a pretty easy thing. But so anyway, I'm here. Cat Pastor is running the board as usual and engineering and uh, doing all kinds of technical things, and including uh, I think she's dislocated our, our first guest. So that's a good thing. Jonathan McNichol is producing from a different location. And then there's this whole cast of characters, Gina Amatruda and Katie Tularski and Joe Koss and lots of other people who are making this crazy experiment in socially distant radio possible. So joining us now is somebody who can, he may not know that much about either the Turkish Super League, which is a basketball league, which is still functioning, uh, or Australian rules football, which, as I said, has not yet shut down. But he would know about everything else. And he would be Brian Curtis. He's been here many times. He's editor at large for The Ringer, joining us by Skype. Or he may be editor at large at Skype, joining us by The Ringer. It doesn't really matter <laughs> at this point. Um, so uh, here he is now. That's, that's Brian. So, Brian, I, first of all, welcome back to our show. Thanks very much. Uh, happy to be here. But probably unhappy to be here under the circumstances. And and I guess, you know, I, I, as somebody who has devoted quite a bit of his career to sports, uh, let me ask you, yeah, I'll ask you a sports guy question. How big is this for you? <laughs> that is the essential question. It's um, It's incredibly big and it's incredibly big to the profession, right? Because all of these sports content creators like me or whose lives are kind of regulated and run and framed around games 
all of a sudden we're sitting here going, what do we do now? As you can hear my young daughter chirping in the background there here at my own home isolation. Um, we have this sort of, you know, kind of, I don't know, drift is the word or, or just kind of sense of, you know, what we're going to do through this whole thing. And here we are. Well, I mean, I sh we should say that at The Ringer, you guys are better poised than some other people might be because The Ringer is always kind of in cross-genre, cross-platform, and also like a lot of digital, digitally native sports uh, platforms, has had a little bit of an eyebrow arched at sports all the time. But that is, I guess that doesn't mean you don't love sports, and, and, and maybe the love is what the problem is right now. Yeah, I think so. And and I, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, it's sports love, this genuine, you know, fun of watching a game. We'd be watching the NCAA tournament right now, right? which is one of the great events in, in, in America, you know, full stop, forget just sports. Um, and then the second thing is this whole idea of an escape, right? That, you know, sports provides this escape from the rest of society. And I, and when people say that, I hear, I hear lots of my colleagues say that and I, and I always think, yes, that's true, but it also provides an escape, right? We are sports writers and sports talkers and sports whatevers because we are trying to escape to some extent from the rest of society. And obviously that is not possible right at this moment. You know, one thing that I've noticed, although we in Connecticut had almost seriously, almost kind of near riot conditions outside the offices of the Interscholastic League that runs all the high school championships when they shut everything down. And that was a little bit earlier in the process. And you could maybe kind of get how high school athletes didn't understand it. But, you know, as you look a little further up the ladder to the to the people in the pros, for the most part, it does seem as though. This has been born with a certain amount of dignity. I mean, maybe not universal, but universal. But I've been kind of impressed with how many professional athletes have said, "Well, yeah, this is the way it has to be." Absolutely, and I think part of that is the dramatic way it happened last Wednesday, when that Utah Jazz Oklahoma City Thunder game was canceled because Rudy Gobert, the Jazz player, tested positive for coronavirus. I think the fact that it happened that way sort of in real time on television so dramatically sort of made everybody go, whoops, okay, we're, we're done here, right? You had a player test positive. I mean, that that is so, you know, if, if the leagues had sort of been told to essentially shut down or consider shutting down on their own, I think you would have seen this drag on a few days more. We even saw that with college basketball tournaments, right? Some, some of the conferences, ah, well, we'll, we'll give it a shot for another 24 hours. But the fact that it was a player, the fact that it was the NBA, I think that was a signal to all of America from the pros down to your interscholastic league tournament to say, OK, it's time. No more games for a while. Right. I should also mention, I mentioned uh, the two leagues that are functioning. And of course, uh, over the course of 9.5 days, Norwegian musher Thomas Werner and his 10 dogs won the 48th Iditarod, perhaps the most socially distancing uh, uh, <laughs> event of all. Anyway, it's a thousand miles. It takes almost 10 days to do it. You don't see a lot of people, really. There, there aren't. It's not even like Tour de France. I don't think there are a lot of people kind of lining the course, clapping. They're too cold to do that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, but but basically, yeah, everybody seems to have figured this out, with a few exceptions. Now we should 
Well, actually, before we get to the Olympics, which I think are a subject all in themselves, but, you know, most things are kind of suspended, delayed, pushed back. I mean, there's a whole series of other decisions that have to get made, ultimately. You know, what, at what point are you going to restart the NBA? Uh, are, you know, are you going to let them play deep into what, what would ordinarily be the end of their season? And each one of these sports kind of faces that problem. Major League Baseball may have the biggest problem because they can't really go to November if they start late, at least not easily, not at Fenway Park. So maybe you could just say a little bit more about this. I mean, it seems like there's a cascade of other decisions that a lot of these leagues are going to have to make. Absolutely. You know, I don't think it's that different from the school closures that all of us parents are dealing with, where we're getting, oh, we're going to be closed for two weeks. Oh, we're going to be closed for a month. In a month, we'll reevaluate, and and now we're sort of facing this idea, right, that kids might not go back to school this year. I think that's exactly where all these leagues are. You know, everything is in play from, you know, the NBA in a couple of months starting out and doing some truncated version of the postseason that they get us through, and it ends in July, to, you know, baseball just having a really short season. I mean, I, I, I think all those things are on the table, and I don't think anybody, you know, there's this sort of, there was a little bit of bluff confidence, I think, at the beginning, maybe maybe even at the end of last week. Oh, we're going to get all this in. Don't worry. It's just suspended. We'll, we'll get all this in. We'll play double headers. We'll figure something out. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think everybody is looking at, you know, if all in certain cities in America, if every bar and restaurant and bookstore and movie theater and everything is shut down, there's no reason that we're going to have to necessarily play 162 baseball games. That's just That just seems beyond reason. And I think what we will get shortened season of right. just about everything. And, and I suppose the other possibility in some of these leagues is that they will make the decision that they talked about making briefly before everything went totally dark, which is that, you know, having tested their own athletes and maybe sequestered their own athletes, they could conceivably begin playing games in front of no actual eyewitnesses, no actual audience. Everything would be on TV. And I would like to point out that this is not that big a deal. The Detroit Tigers, the Florida Marlins, the Phoenix Suns, the Carolina Hurricanes, they've all been essentially doing this for years. They've been playing games that nobody <laughs> actually sitting there watching them. Yeah, and by the way, the wrestlers are doing this as we speak. I don't know if that was in your open, but the World Wrestling Entertainment seems to be, as far as I can tell, going on as scheduled, and they are just doing it in, in empty buildings with right. no crowds. Right. So. I and guess w it can be done. WWE adheres to the stricter, strictest standards of medical science, too. So whatever they're doing, <laughs> I can yes. guarantee you that Vince McMahon has a very rational basis uh, for whatever they're doing. But, but you, know, you know, whatever that is, if they come back changed, if it comes back, as we say, with nobody in the stands or in some other way, sports, sports is going to feel different for a while, right? I, I don't even know if it's possible to sort out what our ultimate attitudes are, are going to be, but I, I know it's something you've thought about i uh, it's it's going to feel different in the short term i do go a little bit back and i'm not trying to draw a sketchy historical analogy here but i do go back a little bit to september 11th and those attacks because there was this big discussion you know will we ever look at games the same way again and i think what that experience and all kinds of other smaller events in american life have taught us since then is that we do sort of bounce back to normal pretty quickly we're really good at after you know a period of weeks or months or whatever it takes of kind of wrapping our arms around sports again and and sort of getting back to quote unquote normal and it's never going to be normal for a lot of people it's and that's not to you know impugn or you know minimize anything 
But but I sort of think if I had to predict, that will be what it is. That we'll yeah. get back quicker than we might feel at this point in time. Right. I sort of feel like there are going to be a lot of other cultural or entertainment organizations that may have more struggle to reboot, may need some kinds of outside assistance. Museums and theaters and things like that may have a struggle to come back. But people are pretty... I mean, sports allegiance, I guess, is so bred in the bone, right? It's just so tightly woven into a lot of people's lives that the notion that people are going to stop caring about the Green Bay Packers, you know, it just it doesn't really seem particularly likely. It seems like the minute they get a chance to do it, they'll do it. It's in our DNA. And they're also we're talking about billion dollar leagues, right? They can reboot faster than your favorite used bookstore down the street or your favorite restaurant, which may just go away. Right. As a result of coronavirus, like it's it's not going to hurt the NBA or something like that. Oh, yeah. No, I feel as though Kevin Durant is going to be on firmer financial footing than the waiters uh, at some of the places that I, I like <laughs> yes. to eat. He's, he's going to be OK. He probably won't even file for unemployment. Um, so what are the things that might go away? And you've you've pondered this. And uh, to me, it, it would be an easily discardable thing is the practice of the locker room interview. It could be a long time before athletes want anybody but themselves uh, in the locker room. Talk about this. Well, I think to to use the favorite uh, phrase of the post uh, locker room conversation, talk about this. I think there's a couple things to this. I think one is you're right, athletes. There may be some kind of safety thing where athletes say, "Look, let's just not get close to anybody until this thing is really, really in our rearview mirror." I understand that. Um, I also think something that sports writers like me have pondered is whether these leagues and these teams are going to want to let writers back in. Because the fact that we go in the locker room at all before and after a game, and, I, and I'll, I'll emphasize the before part too, is really a miracle of American sports writing. It really is. It doesn't really exist in the same form it does here anywhere else in the world. Right After a Premier League game, you do not go to go sit around the player's locker. That does not happen. You don't get to go in before either. Now, the defense of it I'll make there, because you're right, there's a lot of junk that, that happens after games. We all came together as a team. Uh, we all played as one. you got to give the other team credit. All, all those quotes I could probably live without. But there's all kinds of things that happen in the locker room between reporters and athletes that you do not see exactly, but that really inform reporting, right? Lots of off-the-record conversations. Lots of just hanging out and getting to know each other, which informs our understanding of these athletes. So I do think there is something that is very, very big that is lost. And you really just have to look at England or, or other places like that to see that when you don't have that contact, you really don't get to know these guys as well. And they get pretty remote, even more remote than they are now pretty quickly. I guess that's true. I mean, I don't really have a sense of how well people know the thoughts of Wayne Rooney or something like that. But um but but I'll take your word for it anyway. It's, it still seems like something. I mean, look, they're going to have to be compromises, uh, and and that's a very likely one, as you say. It's kind of strictly uh, an American phenomenon, um, and it could be that both sides want to give it up too. Um, I don't think the journalists want to give it up. Hmm. I, I don't. I don't think they have any interest in giving it. I mean, again, beyond the let's say weeks and months where it's a legitimate safety concern. I mean, I, I think. The, the reaction you saw was journalists going, please, look, I, we understand coronavirus is going on, but this is a very important, you know, privilege we have. I won't say right. It's a privilege and, and they're scared of it being taken away. 
All right, so we're talking a little bit about sports today, about what's going to happen. There's also a lot of creativity in the world. People are making TikTok videos of sports that they've just invented and are playing by themselves or among themselves or playing out the windows of apartment buildings in Spain. Um, and that kind of makes you feel good. And, and, and Brian, maybe before we go to break here, you know, I was thinking about things that you could do still you know i mean you could start friday night lights all over again right there's things that are not actual sports contests that somehow or other at least give you some of the electrolytes you're looking for yeah i think that's a good one i think re every classic sports book that i have told myself i'm going to reread in the near future uh and have never actually done so i'd also put in a vote for friday night lights the book the breaks of the game things like that right you sort of relive an old season instead of living a new one. That's pretty cool, too. Oh, I still have my uh, copy of My Turn at Bat by Ted Williams, uh, autographed by the kid himself. So I'll, I'll dig that out of the attic and maybe start reading. <laughs> very gingerly dig it out, yes. Yes, very carefully. Well, I've already, I'm already wearing gloves all the time anyway, so what do I have to worry about? <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a little break. Don't go anywhere. Brian Curtis, editor-at-large at The Ringer, will be back in a second or two. All right, we're doing a sports or lack thereof show, and joining us is Brian Curtis, editor at large at The Ringer. Uh, he's joining us via Skype. And so, in the midst of all there not being sports stories this week, there is a sports story this week, and it involves a gentleman named Tom Brady. Uh, you may have heard of him, <laughs> and he is going to another team. My guess is by, by the time he gets there, it'll be a devastated wasteland, and Lord Humongous will be the coach. Uh, but um, <laughs> I got but, that joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they'll just fight over the other team's gas supplies. So, um, there you go. So, Brian Curtis, uh, first of all, can you either confirm or deny that there is a an NFL franchise in Tampa? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think the answer is yes. I vaguely vaguely remember them winning a Super Bowl at some time with a smiling coach who looks like a doll in a horror movie franchise. But it's a vague memory at this point. Right. The way that I'm thinking of it is, I think it's the team that Warren Sapp used to play for. Um, so, but in all <laughs> yes. seriousness, Tom Brady, who has been, I, I, you know, really kind of hard to even think of a comparison. Uh, I mean, he's sort of been to the NFL in the last 20 years. I don't know, almost like what Gretzky was to hockey for a while. And he's only ever played with one franchise and he's leaving that franchise now. And and it just seems like a very odd thing to be going on right at this time, too. I mean, it's it. it Frankie Graziano, my colleague, said at least it distracted everybody from the other thing that they were upset about, assuming that you're a New England Patriots fan and you get upset about things like that. But how else should we look at this? Yeah, I, I, I think that. You hit on something there, which is like 99% of American society right now seems to be, you know, in in shambles or in in sort of groping around for what to do. NFL free agency seems to be proceeding apace, <laughs> as if the NFL offseason has developed a resistance to coronavirus that none of us have yet. And and I really noticed this even before Brady on Sunday, and I opened the um, opened up Twitter, and it was like, you know these terrible stories from Italy and other places. And then there was a Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end who few people have ever heard of being traded for a fifth round pick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I went, wait a minute, 
you have you have coronavirus, 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 and then this transaction. And I think that it testifies to a couple of things. One, as I said a minute ago, how all of us, including the people reporting this stuff, are so desperate to talk about anything but what is going on in the world right now. But number two is just the power of the NFL. And you'll remember last week there were a couple of people kind of wondering aloud, hmm, what if Vince McMahon keeps the XFL open? What if NASCAR stays open? Will that suddenly become like the most popular sport because it's the only thing going right now? We actually missed the most obvious one, which is what was already America's second favorite sport, the NFL offseason. <laughs> and it's just going on. And it's it, it has not stopped. And we'll have a draft here in a couple of, well, I guess, a little, bit, a little over a month now. And I believe this will be like, besides, you know, the plot against America, right, or Westworld season three, this may be the chief entertainment for the next couple of months. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see how this whole idea of the NFL offseason and the free agent market and players coming and going from teams could seem a little unseemly at this time. My feeling is any excuse to mention Snacks Harrison is is probably something that would <laughs> lift anybody's spirits and we should just we just should, just should just go with it. But yeah, this is I mean, in a way, you could say that this is one of the ways in which sports has transitioned also, uh, you know, I mean, we're sort of back to the Jerry Seinfeld line about rooting for laundry. Players come and go from teams. Uh, players aren't necessarily attached to a place, a space. Uh, and now the fans may not be able to be attached to that space quite the way that they used to be, uh, too. But there's sort of a way in which, yes, dreaming about the, your favorite team, dreaming about whom they might acquire by free agency and the draft is something that you can do. And it has the advantage right now of being almost entirely virtual, right? Nobody, you know, I mean, I'm sure they're just having Zoom meetings or something about these actual deals. Nobody has to kind of get dirty or shake hands or anything, right? No, totally. And what, when we think of sports, quote unquote, I'd love to plant a chip in everybody's brain and find out when you, when you think about that subject, what percentage is you thinking about the games your team has or is going to play? And what percentage is you thinking about transactions they may perform, draft picks they may make, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm guessing that second number is much, much bigger than the first one. It's certainly in media terms, right? We have this whole architecture. You know, the NFL has has tried to be a 12-month sport. They've probably gotten to about 11 months. I think June were pretty NFL-free. But, you know, that's happened in America. So now here we are with no games, and we say, oh, wait, this is all still proceeding apace. You know, sports does not just mean games anymore and hasn't for a long time. It means all this other stuff, which by miracle or or cravenness or whatever you want to say is still going on during coronavirus. Right. And I would say also that part of the era of free agency means that you're a little bit more free to dream about your team being different. And it's one of the few areas in life where you can do that, too. You could be watching your favorite NFL team in game 14 of the season, you know, and they're, you know, they're five and nine. And and you can already start thinking about what could happen in the offseason. You could start thinking about, oh, it is time to trade that quarterback. It is time to pick up so-and-so by free agency. We've got 
to beef up the defensive line, and there's going to be a great wide receiver class in the in the draft in the spring. And and I mean, you can't do that. And even if you work at like Goldman Sachs and you hate everybody there, they're probably not going to get rid of them and get other people. (laughs) They're they're probably going to be mostly the same people a year from now. But this is the one of the few areas of life. This and reality TV, where they just get rid of somebody every week. It's there aren't that many places that you can look at and go, oh, everything things could change and I might be very unhappy now, but things could be done in a fairly extreme way to make me more happy in the in the near future. And what better proof of that is you could be a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> and the greatest quarterback of all time is going to come play for you. I he's, mean, is come he on, like right? 40 years old or something. 42 <laughs> 42 yeah. years old and that's what 42. you're happy about you know and and i do sort of wonder about this this is almost a real sports conversation that we're about to have here but you know this is a guy who kind of famously played within a system there's never been anything i don't think pretty about uh, about brady's throw or his ball as they sometimes say i mean you might really love the way an aaron Rodgers pass or at least the old aaron Rodgers pass used to look as it you know or uh, there's you could really love just the physicality of a mahomes i don't know brady has always been this guy he always seems like he's really following the plan really well and able to execute the things that he's asked to do but it isn't the as though i'm seeing the most supremely physically gifted football quarterback of my generation. Aren't I seeing something else? Yeah, I think it's more ruthless efficiency <laughs> than it is, you know, some grainy NFL films video of Roger Staubach running around <laughs> in the backfield, you know, and making something happen. Yeah, and I think you could even, by the way, expand that and say that that's Brady's personality, too, is probably closer to ruthless efficiency. I'm never going to let myself eat a candy bar. Right. Then certainly something like Joe Namath, right? Some other archetype, or even Brett Favre, or whatever it is, and you know players who seem to have some kind of texture off the field. Like he really doesn't, and that is very funny about him. That the the best quarterback of all time would be that guy, and maybe maybe that's why he's the best, right? That's got to be all wrapped up in the same thing. Yeah. He's not trying to work outside the system. He's not trying to, you know, go to a bar and drink and buy a, a round for the house, right? He is being a great quarterback, full stop. Right. I would just like to correct one impression you may have left for the non-sports fan. It's not a matter of he's not going to eat a candy bar. That would be Snacks Harrison, of course, doesn't Snacks. But no, I mean, it's like he's picky about which kind of algae he eats, right? Yes, strawberries are a no-no, right? The you strawberries know, it's, are it's, just kill you. They're, they're silent killers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you have this guy who's no fun, and he's really, really good at executing a system, and he's 42 years old. I mean, it could be the cruelest joke of all on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for him to show up there and, and in fact, not be a difference maker. And I think there's a 50% chance of that. I think there's probably bigger, you know, if we look at, you know, you look at Joe Namath as a uh, L.A. Ram. Is that right? I remember trying to remember the end of yeah. his career. Yeah, that's correct. Emmett yeah. Smith in, in Arizona, Tony Dorsett in Denver. Right. This this is kind of an archetype. The the great plays out the string a couple of years and it usually doesn't go well. I guess Joe Montana in Kansas City would probably be the counterexample there. I just wanted to share with you, because here in Hartford, we all have our own experiences with Patriots owner Robert Kraft, uh, the way that his quote on this was such a perfect blend of kind of coronavirus-y plus massage happy ending. He said, Tommy, Tommy initiated contact last night. 
and came over. We had a positive, respectful discussion. I mean, initiated contact just feels (laughs) (laughs) a little formal, doesn't it? Just kind of seems like something Tony Fauci would the elbow bump. Right, exactly. It sounds like something Dr. Fauci would be talking about. Do not initiate contact with Robert Kraft uh, or anyone who patronizes establishments that he patronizes. Uh, I also wanted to share with you, Brian, uh, my favorite football tweet so far. Uh, this from Julius Peppers, who has tweeted, everyone that knows me knows this social distancing thing is right up my alley. Let's do this annually. <laughs> <laughs> There's somebody who doesn't want to be talked to the two in the locker room after the game. Right. I think so. Exactly. Uh, no, it's yeah. his dream come true. Exactly. So, I mean, since we are t- talking a little bit about football as though football were a real thing, which it may continue to be, um, you know, there will be a draft. Uh, and unless they change that around, and you won't have – the pageantry that has become the case in recent years where people are there and there's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, But one of the things that will happen, and this is of great interest to me, but possibly of no interest to you, uh, is that for the first time in uh, several years, the uh, NFL will have a prominent left-handed quarterback uh, whose last name I still haven't exactly learned how to pronounce. But uh, his first name is Tua. Anyway, I can at least get that far. Um, and and yes. that in and of itself might be kind of, a, for me anyway, it's interesting. I, I hadn't realized how, you know, it's, it's kind of a metaphor for the strict organization, left brain thinking uh, of the NFL that all of their quarterbacks right now right down to the you know whatever guy the Redskins have signed you know who's studying Madden to learn the names of his teammates they're all right-handed <laughs> it's a kind of an incredible yeah, isn't thing isn't that funny yeah and when you see a guy like that I remember this was young for all those years it just feels like you're watching football backwards I mean there really is you know even as a viewer you're just so used to that and and I guess that's um uh, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna try here to, to a tug of Iowa, right? Yeah, that was that, very well uh, done. Does that sound like in the ballpark? It's coronavirus. It's good uh, enough for public radio. And the lack of football affected my pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, no, that's good. And you know, in the past, people like Ken Stabler, Boomer Esiason, Steve Young, Michael Vick. Sure. Uh, I mean, there have been left-handed quarterbacks, but apparently all the, I mean, if, if you're coming off the bench, the playbook is right-handed. Every play in the book is designed for a right-handed quarterback. So, so good luck with that. Um, <laughs> And, and that, yeah, of course, and your blind, your blind side becomes the becomes the right tackle instead of the left tackle. Right, too. So Michael right. Lewis, I have to do a sequel to his book. That's also yeah. important. Exactly. A whole new Sandra Bullock movie. Uh, it, it's a kind of a job creation thing. So. um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, one of the one of the re- results of that is that if you're Tim Tebow, you're probably better off pursuing your baseball career. <laughs> um, yeah, where lefties are in. You know, right. we want lefties, right? We, we, we want lefties and righties. So, yeah, that's I, I, I'd say direct in that way. Plus, you get a guaranteed contract. It does seem, though, just to just to sort of round up that, this conversation about sort of the NFL and the NFL offseason, there is you talked about this on your podcast. There is just something a little off, right? There's. You know, we miss sports so much and we miss seeing games and not knowing the outcome and having all the excitement of games. And then to have this, it is sort of commerce and the NFL draft always seems a little weird, you know, really is about sort of people being owned uh, by companies. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if there, if there were some part of of sports, of professional or college sports that you would want to use to keep the love and hope and uh, and promise of, of sports alive. This is probably not it, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it, there is the kind of unseemly commerce aspect of it. And it does feel like we're really investing a lot in something that is not maybe totally worthy of our emotional <laughs> investment, right? You know, oh my gosh, you know, there's this terrible pandemic. Uh, we're all scared. We're all at home by ourselves. I know, let's have an NFL draft, right? That does not, that doesn't exactly sound like a cheer up the populace um, moment, really. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it feels like I said earlier, it just feels like we're so, we're just so desperate for something else to talk about. And right. And this has happened to land in our lap. And here we go. And also, this is, I think, significantly um, a thing that people like to tweet about and 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 converse digitally about and kvetch about and bitch about uh, and and come up with their own plans. And I, I do. God help me. I follow most of the major Green Bay Packer Twitter accounts, and you would barely know there was any kind of public health crisis uh, in America right now, uh, other than Aaron Rodgers getting old. Um, I mean, it, there's very, very little said about it. I mean, but there's a lot of scheming, you know, about who to pick up in the market and who to draft. And I mean, it really is a thing. If you're, I think a lot of these people were probably pretty socially distant to begin with. You know, they were spending a lot mm -hmm. of time online doing mock drafts and stuff. It's not clear to me that they've had to give up a significant part of their life in order to comply with, with the latest set of rules. No, these, these, these people were not writing, you know, grand essays about the state of the world, right? They were writing grand essays about the, you know, new defensive end from Alabama. And that's okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, they, they've been able to go on as normal. I was funny cause there was a little bit of a movement of that. We shouldn't do this. The NFL must stop the off season because this is unseemly. As we said, I saw Bob Lee, formerly of ESPN, Keith Olbermann, still of ESPN, other people saying it, it just went nowhere. Like it lasted like five minutes on Twitter and then the transactions began and <laughs> everybody went. And so much for that little moral stand and in the face of all this, here we go. So what are you turning to focus on now? I mean, as I said at the beginning, you have a certain natural advantage over people. I mean, we should say that one thing that sports staffs are doing at large newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post, they are asking the sports writers to cover non-sports topics because there's nothing for them to write about there. But there's a ton of stuff that needs covering right now. And some sports reporters, beat reporters that I've worked with in the past, are very good journalists. There are others of them that I would not trust covering municipal parking collection fee stories but no. um but i don't but, trust them to cover sports much or, less, you or, know. Sports. <laughs> or sports yeah. let alone sports yeah so um but I, i'm just wondering for you are you are you suddenly more interested i mean you part of the whole vibe of the ringer part of the whole vibe of your career is that sports and politics and culture are are circles on a venn diagram that, that share a lot of territory as opposed to being discrete bubbles. So I don't know what, what's what's getting you interested right now. Yeah. So I think the role of that we all of us sports media members are impressed into there's you mentioned one very interesting aspect of it is, is some people just have to do other things. I think another test that I will kind of be interested in watching is how much of sports and pop culture have just become one thing. I mean, you'll see it at the ringer, I think, you know, right when one one half of that equation just becomes a little bigger over the next few months. But really, you also see it even in your very basic local sports radio station. 
Like those people were already doing show recaps of old seasons of the wire anyway, right? <laughs> those two worlds had merged. And now that they can't talk about non NFL transaction related sports news, they're just going to be doing more of that. And that, and that is really interesting to me that there's just this one kind of big blob of content that is, you know, and again, a lot of this is very male though, obviously non-males are very welcome into it but that's kind of counts as sports that's a lot of pop culture there's maybe a little politics and world news on into it and it's just all one video games you could throw in all that stuff it's just one thing and this whole this whole moment in history is a really sort of interesting time to look at that Absolutely. And, and it is true that we did a show recently on small talk uh, and um, small talk is a kind of a, a fairly complicated form of social lubrication. Uh, it's done, I think, in a somewhat gender specific way. But for guys, it is, you know, uh, it's a, an almost automatic thing that you could have a conversation about the grave I interviewed U.S. Senator Chris Murphy recently about something else, but I mean, I had to start out with Mookie Betts because he's a Red Sox fan. <laughs> he's really upset about Mookie Betts, you know. But I mean, it is a thing that that kind of greases the wheels of conversation. Now, perhaps mercifully, we're not having face-to-face -face conversations anymore. You're not standing around <laughs> awkwardly at a barbecue wondering what to talk about because you can't do that anyway. But there is a way in which for a lot of us, if we don't want to talk about something that's either controversial or possibly uh, likely to, to erupt into an argument, and we also don't want to talk about our feelings, which is most of us, um, sports has played this incredible role in that regard too. And I, I guess that is, it has to be thought about a different way now. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, I know in my own family, um, after the 2016 election, let's say that there was a, you know, a, a period of a week or 10 days where there was a little bit of silence <laughs> between people who might have found themselves on the opposite side of that thing. And then the Cowboys beat the Steelers in this very charged, you know, wonderful NFL films looking Sunday afternoon game that was on Fox. And the phone got picked up right after it was over. You know, because that was our way of getting around a lot of uncomfortable stuff. And I think in one way, at a very basic level, that social lubricant, as you say, has been taken away from us. Right. There, there, we can't talk about it. Maybe we can have a conversation about the NFL draft. Maybe that will fill the void. But I sort of don't think it will on that scale anyway. And and that is a really it's a pretty funny effect on what we do with our time. But it's also a really funny effect on how we talk to each other, really. All right. Well, we've been talking to Brian Curtis. Uh, we have saved uh, the final segment for Stefan Fatsis, uh, who uh, could because uh, NPR listeners want to know what's happening with competitive Scrabble. Uh, and uh, he's going <laughs> to bring us up to date. And we really didn't trust Curtis with this. He's always been a very sketchy uh, Scrabble player. So uh, we trust you with everything else, though. Uh, Brian Curtis, editor-in-large at The Ringer. He joins us uh, today. And you should be checking out The Ringer for all kinds of stuff, including, I'm sure, lots of recommendations about things to watch on television and other ways to entertain yourself. Brian, thanks again. As always, Colin. Thank you. All right. So we'll take a little break. We'll come back and we'll have Stefan. Hi, this is Colin McEnroe. I am trying to 
adjust my mic stand right now from my studio uh, at home, uh, and uh, we're di- we're dispersed. And Jonathan McNichol, who produced the show, he's also at his home. Cat Pastor, there will be a statue of Cat Pastor probably someday because of uh, all the stuff that she's done engineering these shows for us uh, during this time of social distancing. Uh, but anyway, she's doing that again right now, and I think she's uh, locating our next guest even as I speak. Uh, meanwhile, also thanks to behind the scenes people, uh, Gina Amatruda, Joe Koss, Katie Tularski, uh, all the people who've uh, kept things running, and T- Tim Rasmussen, who's uh, shown quite a bit of leadership at this time, and lots of other people whose names I'm not thinking of right now, but I will. Uh, and um, could I just say one last other thing, just to you people, that I sort of forgot to say to Brian, um, and that is that you know, this whole notion that the Patriots of this era were some kind of defining football team. I mean, I live in Hartford and I like football. I don't think I could name very many of the Patriots because they kind of cycled in and out all the time. You know, they were sort of anybody that Belichick decided he wanted. Uh, and then you get rid of them and you get somebody else. And I, I, there's like I could name most of the team of, of the I'm not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but I could name that whole Franco Harris, Joe Green team. I bet you I could come up with 20 names from that team because there was something iconic about those players. So um, in, so in any case, um, there's there's just sort of that to think about. Right. There's just there, there's a way in which, yeah, the Patriots kind of defined what the NFL was over the last 20 years. But I would sort of say they defined the, what the NFL was over the last 20 years in the sense of not necessarily having that, um, I don't know, that distinctive feeling. It was sort of Brady and a bunch of other guys. I know Julian Edelman, all that stuff. But but anyway, um, uh, I think we are not quite ready uh, to talk about Scrabble. So let me just talk a little bit about what we have coming up here tomorrow. We are going to try to do the nose. Uh, the Nose is our weekly cultural roundtable, if you're just new to the Colin McEnroe show. And I'll tell you a horrible story that I'm sure I will have to live down tomorrow, which is that, speaking of sports, um, I last week, uh, all the panelists for The Nose, we, we didn't know yet. We didn't understand in the way I think that competitive Scrabble did not understand. Um, last week, we did not under, I, I did not understand that ultimately by the end of the week, things were going to be different. Uh, and so we all agreed that we would go see the, this new Ben Affleck movie, The Way Back. Um, and then, so my plan was to see it Thursday for Friday's show. And a whole bunch of things happened, um, particularly right around Wednesday and Thursday. And we had some illness in our house and it just didn't seem safe in, in a lot of ways to go to a movie theater. Didn't see, Didn't know what I'd be bringing in, didn't know what I would be bringing out. Meanwhile, I think a lot of the panelists saw the movie (laughs) and I found myself on Thursday thinking I don't really want to be really sick and be saying to myself, uh, I I would have been fine if I hadn't gone to see that Ben Affleck movie. So that would feel kind of that would feel like a ruinous end to one's life. Uh, so anyway, I will have to live down tomorrow the fact that I didn't. I never saw the movie that I made everybody else see. We're also going to be talking about um, uh, the new version of High Fidelity that is on Hulu, uh, and that means I'm going to have to resubscribe to Hulu. Which Hulu, among all the streaming services, has sort of a Godfather Three feel. You try to get out of Hulu, 
And they keep dragging you back. All right. So there was always going to be a, a question. Who, which highly competitive uh, uh, arena of games and sports would be the most resistant to public health measures? And I think for most people, it came down to a question. It's either going to be the WWE or competitive Scrabble. Um, and we're going to find out uh, right now which one of those it was with uh, someone you were overjoyed to have. And we've had him on before. Stefan Fatsis is a pan on the Slate Sports Podcast, Hang Up and Listen, and the author of Word Freak, Heartbreak, Triumph, Genius, and Obsession in the World of Competitive Scrabble Players, one of which he is. Stefan, welcome back to our show. Hey, Colin, good to be here. So, you know, I know from reading the, your piece that you kind of beat yourself up a little bit about the fact that you and your daughter were at a, a Scrabble tournament in, I, I sort of did the reverse math. It seemed that you were maybe at a, Scra a Scrabble tournament on the weekend of March 6th and 7th, which I think is sort of when you were still allowed to be a little bit clueless about this. But, but anyway, tell us your thoughts about it. Yeah, that's right. The tournament was on Saturday and Sunday, March. I think it was 7th and 8th, actually. Um, we left on Friday the 6th. On Thursday the 5th, that was sort of when I started to think, you know, is this a great idea? Um, there were no reports of, of, of coronavirus in Virginia. The tournament was in Charlottesville. I live in Washington, D.C. It was a two-hour drive. But it was, I think, something that we all went through. There was that gradual hour-by-hour sort of growing sense of concern and discomfort. And once we were at the tournament, players were vigilant about hand washing, and we were all talking about, you know, making sure to use hand sanitizer and keep everything clean. And before the tournament, there had been emails about washing your tiles and your bags and your boards. So there was awareness, but we weren't all freaking out yet. Right. So then, yeah, you had some kind of scrabblers remorse uh, afterwards. Uh, although, I mean, with Scrabble, I mean, you mainly just touch your own tiles, right? It's not like other people are touching your tiles. No, not at all. You're, you're, the tiles are in a bag, and both players are taking turns drawing tiles out of the bag and placing them on the board, and you're moving from board to board during the tournament. You're not always using your own. You're sort of moving to play one player and then play another player. We played 16 games in this tournament, so there's a lot of commingling of hands and breath. You're sitting, you know, 18 inches across a table from each other. Um, you are hitting a, a chess timer that we use to, to time games. So there's a lot of, of non-distancing in, in competitive Scrabble. So the the balance of your piece, though, is really about the conversations you were having with other Scrabble players, but particularly NASPA, which is, uh, of course, as everyone knows, the organizing entity, although I was amused to find out there's also this kind of a rogue parallel yeah, entity. But uh, but NASPA runs all the big tournaments and the, the big tournament, I guess. And then they basically provide some organization for the other tournaments. And, and NASPA, well, they really weren't backing down right away, right? That's correct. Um, the, the position of the, the organizing body for Scrabble, and the game is owned by Hasbro, the big toy company, of course. Um, the organizing body for Scrabble, their position for, 
from last week and, and, and the week before and well into this week was that the decision on whether to cancel or suspend any clubs or tournaments should be left up to the local directors. So there are about 150 clubs around the country. There are tournaments every weekend, about 400 or so annually. And you mentioned the big one that NASPA organizes, which is about 400 players, and it's in the summer this year. It's scheduled for early August in Baltimore. So NASPA was very clearly leaving the decision to local players. And that angered some members of the community, particularly physicians. Um, a doctor named Mina Lee organized a petition urging NASPA to suspend play. She rallied about 22, I think it was, other players, including seven other doctors, a radiologist, and I signed it too. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, in a way, your piece, and I would really recommend that people read the piece because it's, it's detailed and it's interesting and we can't possibly do it justice now. But it really is, you know, it's a picture. It's a snapshot of a subculture, right? All of these things like this are subculture. So Scrabble's a subculture and it therefore talks to itself in a certain way. And That's you can right. sort of you can sort of almost extrapolate a little bit from there and say th there might be a lot of other analogous things where just because of a little bit of the insularity, a little bit of the very peculiar focus of a subculture, it might not get a mainstream message like this right away. I think it's exactly right, Colin, and I think everybody sort of wants to cling to the things that we're used to clinging to. Um, we're scared. And even 10 days ago or 12 or 14 days ago, you know, the concern was building, but we wanted to maintain our daily routines and daily lives. So on the one hand, you saw people in this little community saying, we have to stop. But there were other people online saying, hey, it should be a personal choice. I'll stop when I want to stop. The public health authorities aren't telling us to shut it down. I'm happy to keep going. All right. Speaking of stopping, we have to stop. Although the kicker is that Hasbro eventually did get involved and, and things are much more clearly shut down than they were before. They but are, That's right. That, that happened yesterday. And the NASPA did order a suspension of club and tournament play. All right. But read Stefan's piece in Slate. It is a terrific and he has been a terrific guest. And thanks to you for tuning in. And we will be back tomorrow with a nose, as I explained. Uh, and I hope we can keep you a little bit distracted in these troubling times. <laughs>